Welcome to Worlds Burning, the podcast for your climate anxiety. I am Olivia. And I'm Elise. And sometimes we do this, we're really cheery. And sometimes we're more like NPR. Or is this like Welcome. late night talk radio? <laughs> yeah. Just chilling. Depends on the day. But I feel like this is, kind of, even though it's the middle of the afternoon we're recording, it's kind of a late night episode. Not in like a sexy sense, but in like a... <laughs> pensive sense i don't know where i'm going with it's very you know what i'm saying it's very like i feel like hopefully all of our episodes are thought-provoking but this is a little more introspective yes that's the way and also it's just it's quarantine and we've all lost our minds yes yes um but today so we're talking about environmental writers environmental writing um but i felt like it'd be useful at the top to talk about a little bit about like climate anxiety. Yeah. Because we, we talk about this as like the podcast for your climate anxiety. But I feel like, well, first of all, what does that mean? And second of all, like how does art help with that? Yeah. Well, so first of all, definitions. I'm always here with them. Um, climate anxiety is a, a chronic fear of environmental doom. That's what the American Psychological Association says. But like, I also think that there's a lot of, there, I don't know, there was a lot of power for me just in hearing that word in the first place and like mm-hmm. having a name for this thing that I, I feel all the time and that I think a lot of people, especially younger generations, feel. Yeah, no, I, I feel like having language around stuff like that is so important in just like naming and understanding it so that we can like break it down and process it. And also just the fact that like if you're feeling a certain way that you're not alone and feeling that way I feel like Mm -hmm. is also important so if there's a word that other people came up with um like if there's a word for that I feel like that's a little bit comforting even though that feeling is probably not gonna go away yeah well yeah I mean that's I feel like why I seek out writing in general whether it's like books articles even podcasts and stuff it's like to Mm -hmm. find people that are working through the same emotions because they're shitty yes yeah but there's a lot of like hope in in hearing other people process those things as well yeah for sure and yeah I mean and also I mean since we're doing like kind of environmental or just like writers that I guess like interpret the natural world um all that processing like it can come out in podcasts and what like media and all that but like also processing it through art yeah I just saw I got a targeted ad actually no world's burning got a targeted ad for um a bunch of posters about the green new deal which I was like "Ooh, are they're getting what we're posting about yeah good job um I forget what it's by but it it benefits the sunrise movement and there are these gorgeous posters I I thought about buying one yeah I think Um, I know the one the ones you're talking about are they like kind of like little well, we land- probably got the same targeted land <laughs> landmarks yeah well they have like all these that are see america let me look um i took a screenshot of them hold on oh um creative action creative action network okay there was this one i kind of have a southwestern theme in my room i'm gonna show it to you and i'll put it on the oh Instagram. these are different ones it's- than i saw yeah, well, they had some that were for national parks, and then they had these for the Green New Deal. 
which clearly they okay. they targeted as well. Yes. This one's called <laughs> Growing Strong Together by Sarah Bloom, and it's like an illustration of a cactus, but then at the end of each cactus, there's either like windmills or, um, you know, fists, like people kind of out in the streets and then flowers on some of them. It's just a cool thing. But anyways, that goes to say, like, art is a great way to express how you're feeling and like the frustration and the collective action and all that that we need. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it was like a hot takes thing um, that they were talking about how like in in journalism, but also in other areas, like there's a lot of gatekeeping around talking about climate change for people who Absolutely. are scientists or like people not feeling qualified or whatever to jump into the conversation when it is something that affects everybody. Um, so I think it's really cool to see artists and writers and people who aren't scientists contributing to the conversation in yeah. the way that they are best able to. Right. And to do it with the information of the scientists. So it's not like they're yeah. spreading disinformation or anything yes. like that. They're not trying to go into the field that they don't know about, but they're like, like yeah, using yeah. their talents. Elaborating on it. Yeah. To make it part of like the greater conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gives me hope, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. So yeah, should I jump yeah, go into stuff? So I am going to talk about... Uh, the Wreck of Time by Annie Dillard. Um, it's an essay, and it's not specifically um, a climate piece or specifically having to do with climate change, but it does mention climate change. It mentions uh, uh, natural disasters and just like the human toll of changes in the earth and human action and so I feel like it's very relevant. So uh, Annie Dillard is obviously a writer, and her website said to not use Wikipedia. <laughs> so I'm assuming yeah, she, she maybe had a couple things, or like there are a couple things on there that she's not super happy about. So uh, I'm not gon- going to, uh, you know, share any information from there. But uh, I think she's she's very kind of like funny in a witty way. Uh, And Mm -hmm. she has descriptions for all of her uh, books and, you know, collections of essays and stuff on her website. And I I really like all of them. So, like, she called one of them embarrassing. Um, So that was The Writing Life. And she she's like, really? That's (laughs) the one I've read. Yeah. She's like, this is embarrassing. Um, Some she calls hilarious, like encounters with Chinese writers and uh, in other descriptions she answers critics' questions of, uh, was she on hallucinogenic drugs when she wrote it? The answer was no, <laughs> um, which was for Holy the Firm. Um, and it's it's clear through her writing and just the way she talks about everything that, you know, from her young age, she was super interested in kind of a combination of art, history, science, and spirituality, uh, which you can definitely see in her writing, which is very, very cool. And she says that the best way to know a writer is to read their work. So there's not a ton of biographical information on her website. But so I'm just going to jump kind of right into her writing itself. But I mean, first, I I read this first when I was 17. So I was a senior in high school and we were reading it in class and it definitely fucked me up and has stuck <laughs> with me. <laughs> it's stuck with me. Um 
maybe more than any other piece of writing over the years. And I feel like I've kind of revisited, uh, revisited it or just kind of gravitated towards it um, in times of change. Or it's like in, it was introduced to me um, right before I graduated high school. So it kind of like came at me in a time of, you know, kind of understanding things and, you know, kind of getting to know the world a little bit better. Um, and then I know I kind of went back to it and read it again uh, right when I graduated college. Um, and I think it's kind of funny that now we're talking about it on this episode when we're all kind of experiencing a lot of change mm-hmm. and just kind of uncovering truths about our existence collectively. Um, yeah. And also, I feel like we've talked specifically in the dump. I think we keep bringing up the theme of time and I was going to say the same yeah. thing yeah. <laughs> and understanding, um, which actually I, I, I didn't have it written in my notes, but I am I, I feel like I should read the quote um, from the article that you sent me um, just about mm. like understanding time, which this isn't in. Yeah. This isn't in The Wreck of Time, but it relates to it. Um, so Annie Dillard wrote, um, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a net for catching days. It's a scaffolding on which a worker can stand and labor with both hands at sections of time. A schedule is a mock-up of reason and order, willed, faked, and so brought into being. It is a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later, still living. Each day is the same, so you remember the series afterward as a blurred and powerful pattern. So just talking about, like, time as a way of organizing ourselves and other people organizing us. Yeah, that, like, line that a schedule is a piece and a a haven set into a wreck of time, like, that kills me yeah. oh my gosh yeah so um because I I never read this before mm-hmm. but I read it because well because you told me to <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoyed it. I feel like I don't maybe I, well if I had ever read this I don't remember it um and the only thing I've read of hers is the writing life which mm-hmm. she doesn't like apparently yeah um, which I understand those writing books I think in general are very vulnerable and like very they're like different from her her other work and then Oftentimes the the writing book can be the most popular of a writer's book. So maybe mm-hmm. that like adjusts the way you feel about it too. But anyways, yeah, I'm so down to get into it. Yeah. So, and this piece was originally uh, in Harper's Magazine in 1998. And then it was put into her book for the time being, which was published in 2000. So that just kind of contextualizes when this was made. So like 20 years ago it came out or was released or whatever. So it kind of comes from that, you know, late 90s perspective, but it's still so relevant Mm. today. Uh, So I'm basically just going to go through, I can't read the whole entire piece. So if you want to pause and read the whole thing, we'll have like a PDF of it uh, on our website. So if you want to read the whole thing, I would highly recommend it. But if not, I'm just going to read a bunch of quotes that are relevant to what we generally talk about. And we can talk about them. Um, First, the first line is um, 
Ted Bundy, the serial killer, after his arrest, could not fathom the fuss. What was the big deal? David Von Driel quotes an exasperated Bundy in Among the Lowest of the Dead. I mean, there are so many people. So I think that it's interesting that is starts off with talking about a serial killer because, mm-hmm. I mean, I know so much of the, the podcast content that I consume is true crime and a lot of, like, like trying to understand the bad things that happen on earth Mm -hmm. kind of come from like a true crime perspective um right and i mean like he said there are so many people but like it's crazy to think of like tragedy on a small scale and how it can just like shatter people's lives i guess right that he's an absolute monster by saying that but then that he says it so simply and also i the way that they italicize so just makes me mm. read that in the sassiest <laughs> voice. Like, I mean, there's so, so many, people. many people. Who cares? But, of course, we do care. Yeah. So I just I just think that it was... And I honestly forgot that that was how it started because everything else yeah. kind of... I don't know, like, kind of, like, overwrote that in my memory. But then when I pulled it back up, and I was like, wait. Okay. Uh, so going forward, uh, this, I feel like, is... I'll I'll read it and then we'll talk about it. So we who are here now make up about 6.8% of all people who have appeared to date. This is not a meaningful figure. These times are, one might say, ordinary times, a slice of life like any other. Who can bear to hear this or who will consider it? Are we not especially significant because of our, our century is? Our century and its nuclear bombs, its unique and unprecedented holocaust, its... Uh, serial exterminations and refugee populations, our century and its warming, its silicon chips, men on the moon and spliced jeans. No, we are not, and it is not. <laughs> and like uh, when I read that, I feel like like we're talking about our times now as so unprecedented, and mm-hmm. I feel like this whole piece and specifically that passage just like is such like a slap in the face. <laughs> But, like, also just, like, is so, like, centering and grounding in that, like, I mean, we're still dealing with a lot of the same problems. Right. Especially the century that she's talking about is the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in a whole other century and we're still dealing with a lot of the same things. I mean, we're talking about global warming now like on this specific podcast well yeah like I literally so (laughs) when I was reading through this I did my grad school thing of highlighting everything in different colors and stuff and so I highlighted that line we we who are here now make up 6.8 percent of all people who have appeared today I highlighted that and then I read the next line it's like this is not a meaningful figure (laughs) and she just like took me down a notch I was like all right yeah but she's right and I mean it's just like such a powerful way to to put it because we we talk about things as if this is the most important time in the world and maybe we have to think that way in order for us to you know continue going but ultimately like there will be time after us and there will be or there has been thousands of years before us of civilization yeah obviously more than that yeah (laughs) for sure and yeah just like the idea of like our unprecedented problems are truly just like last century's leftover problems in a lot of cases yeah, here in our precedented problems <laughs> yes so I just but like with 
everything, like corona and, you know, talking about racism and our election that's happening so soon. Like all of it is feels so unprecedented, but it is, you know, precedented. Yeah. Uh, so here's another moving down the, the essay. Um, on April 30th, 1991, on that one day, 138,000 people were drowned in Bangladesh. At dinner, I mentioned it to my daughter, who was then seven years old. Uh, that It was hard to imagine 138,000 people drowning. No, it's easy, she said. Lots and lots of dots in blue water. Which, one, I feel like talking about understanding natural disasters um Mm -hmm. and just like trying to wrap our brains around it and how it's really hard um yeah and also just that the simplistic like childlike lots of dots (laughs) in blue water yeah that's like a it sounds like a sadistic thing to say but it's yeah she's just a a young person who's like yeah I can I can't imagine that (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and like like that. So if you're not reading this along with us, which yeah, totally fine. I honestly recommend like going and taking a walk with this ep- like episode, and then maybe coming back later and looking at these. But yeah. there's a lot of numbers, there and that's so the intention many. of the yeah of the essay. I feel like is to overload you with all of these numbers, like years and amounts of people and yeah. statistics and whatever. And so, yeah, you see this number, 138,000 people. Yeah. And it's just a horrifying number, but it it makes you think of, you know, 200,000 people and all these numbers that we're seeing every day mm-hmm. in regard to COVID. Yeah. And like this, and and one thing I think about this essay is, is so good, like uh, this essay absolutely like overloads you with numbers, but also this specific 138,000, um, which mm. uh, I, I looked it up because I was curious and- it was, uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, 138,866 total people died. Um, so I, I just think it's also wow. interesting that, like, she kind of also rounded. Mm, yeah, she, yeah, that's, she's not ooh. She's not being specific about it either. Like, she left off 866 people, which is a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. but, but this, that stat comes up three different times throughout the essay. So it kind of keeps bringing you back and back to all of these things that happened, which yeah. Um and I am cutting out I have a couple with more numbers in them, but um yeah, it's a, it's a lot. So I <laughs> cut a lot of that out of my quotes. But I think that's part of the point too, like yeah, is to it, it sorry if you're going to say no, this, but okay. like there's one part at the end where she brings back the 138,000, she's like, "Did you forget?" Mm-hmm. kind of thing you know yeah it would have been easy for you to forget and or mix it up with this yeah. other thing that happened at a similar time right yeah so because like I mean everything blurs like I mean even just thinking you know maybe a lot less people die but even just thinking back in my own life about like living in Connecticut and like losing power different times or like experiencing hurricanes like a lot of times I mix them up or like which hurricane was that um right yeah like stuff gets gets jumbled around but um, right. from there, like going on from there, um, she describes in great detail a boat's wake and then says, um, the curled wave crested over clear water and tumbled down. All its bubbles broke, thousands a second unendingly. I could watch the present. I could see time and how it works. Which, again, like I love that it goes so big 
it goes, you know, 138,000 people. There's all these numbers. It's really overwhelming. And then you snap into this like second of time of like seeing water and Mm -hmm. the fact that she talks about that one split second with such weight and like understanding time and like seeing how things whatever like it's so important to her and her understanding of things but obviously that moment is insignificant to anyone else who's not there I love how she does that though like zooms super super micro in and then zooms way way out because I feel like sometimes in the overwhelm of like my experience of life at least is like focusing on the really really tiny things yeah you know like how to conjugate a sentence in a different language to like what's happening in the universe like you're always oscillating back and forth between those two things and then everything between I don't know she just like puts that into words really beautifully yeah yeah and again like I feel like when I'm feeling overwhelmed like this piece is super overwhelming but the way she goes Mm -hmm. back and forth between really really big and really really small is it it gets you in the middle so you're not caught up in either yeah I feel like which I like again I like I come back to it in times when I'm like overwhelmed and confused by life yeah um and speaking of things that are very very small and also very very large um She says, uh, anyone's close world of family and friends composes a group smaller than almost any and almost all sampling errors, a group invisible at whose loss the world would not blink. Two million children die a year from diarrhea and 800,000 from measles. Do we blink? Stalin starved 7 million Ukrainians in one year. Pol Pot killed 1 million Cambodians. The flu epidemic of 1918 killed 21 or 22 million people. Shall this go on? Or do you suffer, as Teilhard de Chardin did, this sense of being an atom lost in the universe? Or do you not suffer from this sense? How about what journalists call compassion fatigue, reality fatigue? At what limit for you do other individuals blur, vanish? How old are you? Mm. Which, again, I feel like Uh, that paragraph... like runs like and again I think it's it's so important that like everything that's most important to you or anyone is so small which I mean I think is just like good to consider when you think about other people too but yeah I just think it's really cool how it goes from talking about like it gets you to think about who is most important to you it brings you back out and then it's just like how old are you um at the end again just like kind of putting things into perspective or like you know what matters and what doesn't to you and to everyone else yeah Um, there's this in the whole essay but especially this part made me think of um this website it's called calm I forget what the exact title is I'll put it in the show notes but um it's like you fill this bubble and you can write in whatever you're like worried about so whatever you could write like my insomnia or something Mm -hmm. and then you press enter and it's like are you ready to watch it float away and so you like watch the bubble get smaller and smaller until you like can't see the words anymore and then it like floats up and the words are like basically this thought is not important like the (laughs) these things are insignificant and you are just an atom in the universe and whatever series of atoms in the universe and it's 
it's really calming to watch and the music is really nice. It's just like a mm-hmm. maybe minute long experience. Um, but I do it sometimes if I'm like worried about something that I know is not super significant. You have to go into that with the knowledge that you are still important and like yeah. you still have value. Yeah. I want to caveat that, you know, if you're struggling with depression in any sense, but in terms of like understanding how your problems rank in the world, it's really helpful. What if you do put like a really serious societal issue in there? Yeah, then it probably <laughs> doesn't read quite the same. <laughs> uh, no, but that sounds really cool. I have to check that out. Yeah, it's like one of those things you kind of have to go into it with the the mindset that was the intention of the creator. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. It's which fun to watch. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. And like, yeah, with that thing, like it's just it's not denying the unimportance of your issues or like the people you care about or like your community or whatever. But like it's putting it comparing it to things in perspective a little yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. and then that idea of compassion fatigue or reality fatigue Mm -hmm. I feel like that's one where sometimes you do just have to like separate yourself from everything that's happening in the world because you cannot give your full energy to everything all the wrong in the world or else you're not gonna be able to do anything in your own life yeah or or you won't be able to do anything about it like I feel like that's something that's really easy to like get into the habit of like worrying about everything and then you are so exhausted from thinking about it that you're not actually like doing anything to help the issue right which you're like I know, paralyzed. Yeah, yeah I know like I'm for sure guilty of that um Same. but but yeah and then I I just have a like I have four more quotes I love it um I love it. This is our book club. It's our little book club. Again, like, (laughs) read it. Come talk with us. Um, But yeah, so the next quote is, um, and this is kind of, I I think I cut a little chunk out of the middle just because it was really long and I wanted to get to the end. But um, Los Angeles Airport has 25,000 parking spaces. If you propped up or stacked four bodies to a car, you could fit into the airport parking lot all the corpses from the firestorm bombing of Tokyo in March 1945, or the corpses of Londoners who died in the plague, or the corpses of Burundians killed in the Civil War since 1993. But you cannot fit America's homeless there, not even at 20 to a car. I feel like that is just, like, very relevant. Or, like, there are so many tragedies that are named that it's hard to see. Or it's hard to, like, contextualize issues that were, or, like, problems that were living. Which I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. That, that, she wrote that about America's homeless in 1998. So I'm not sure exactly what that stat looks for 2020. I don't, I didn't, yeah, I, <laughs> I honestly didn't think about improved. it. But I know that L.A., and America as a whole has a still has a massive homeless population. So I would believe if anything, it's, it's bigger. Greater, yeah. Uh, Especially because housing inequity has gotten worse and worse. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I don't know. I like that too because, or maybe I didn't like it because it's a really gruesome visual. Yeah. But the idea of, yeah, like you said, the epidemics that we're living mm-hmm. is just really oof intense. Yeah. Which, which, like, I just feel like even just, like, climate-wise, like, obviously, like, unhoused people are, the fact that they don't have shelter is a huge issue. 
just mm-hmm. in general, but with climate change and like heat, you know, it just generally being hotter and stuff like in the summer, like if you don't have shelter and access to air conditioning or access to like reliable access to water, like the health mm-hmm. risks of that too, just with like heat stroke and everything pollution and pollution. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, especially with like fires and stuff on the West coast, like if you don't have a house that you can set up an air filter and whatever, like you are immediately exposed to, or even if you have a house and it's burned down or yeah, compromised or, um, repossessed or whatever, and then you don't have another option. Yeah. That's why I feel like it's been really powerful maybe in the last like year or so to have seen inequality and climate change like so Mm -hmm. intertwined in the media obviously it's not cool to see them intertwined in real life but um you know to see those two problems met as like we have to it has to be an intersectional solution and like yeah acknowledgement of like an intersectional problem yeah yeah because like if you if you make them separate issues like you're denying the greater like reality of what is actually happening yeah all right and then this next quote um I one I think it's interesting and two it features someone who we've talked oh, about before. Um so on the dry Latoli plain of northeast Tanzania, Mary Leakey found a trail of hominid footprints. The three barefoot people, likely a short man and woman and a child Australopithecus afarensis, um walked closely together. They walked on moist volcanic tuff and ash. We have a record of those few seconds from a day about 3.6 million years ago, before hominids even chipped stone tools. More ash covered their footprints and hardened. Ash also preserved the pockmarks of the raindrops that fell beside the three who walked. It was a rainy day. We have almost 90 feet of the three steady footprints intact. We do not know where they were going or why. We do not know why the woman paused and turned left briefly before continuing. A remote ancestor, Leakey said, experienced a moment of doubt. Possibly they watched the Sadaman volcano erupt, or they took a last look back before they left. We do know we cannot make anything so lasting as these three barefoot ones did. Crazy. Yeah. And yeah, Mary Leakey <laughs> was a part of Jane Goodall's story and Diane Fossey. Yes. Yeah, so, like... And the leak and her husband as well. Yeah, so they're, like, a study of humans and, like, human ancestors and evolution and whatnot um, was obviously very important and led to, like, more research of primates. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, so, one, I just wanted to, like, bring her into it because... (laughs) Shout out. Yeah, shout out. Um, But also, like, again... I think it's really cool the idea of like thinking about what you can do that would have a lasting impact and the fact that like you can try so hard and actually like maybe make a huge difference in the world but then like some random footprints like actually last a really long time and they were 3.6 million years like, like yeah I can't even fathom that yeah, and, like, something so, like, insignificant in the moment ends up actually having, like, a lasting I- effect on the earth. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that's funny. And, again, the, like, bringing, bringing your, your, like, mind's eye into something so specific and so, uh, like, fleeting, I think, is really, really 
cool. Yeah. But, I agree. Yeah. Um, so then the last two that are pretty close to the or this last one is pretty close to the end. Um is and it kind of goes back to the one about like unprecedented times. Um it's kind of a continuation of that, but it is um is it not late a late time to be living? Are not our current generations the important ones? We have changed the world. Are not our heightened times the important ones? The ones since Hiroshima? Perhaps we are the last generation. There's comfort. Uh, take the bomb thread away and what are we? We are ordinary beads on a never-ending string. Our time is a routine twist of an improbable yarn. So again, it's just kind of the... Um, going off of like that that one about like contextualizing ourselves based on what's going on around us and like why we're so important um Mm -hmm. and just I I guess also like the idea that like I don't know all of our problems are like making us like it's kind of just like the self-importance of I don't know (laughs) like the big things that are happening around us and like is I don't know is that what we should be contextualizing ourselves around yeah I also just that that line is this a late time to be living Mm -hmm. is so I just feel like that's something that I feel and especially it relates back to climate Mm -hmm. and climate anxiety you feel like you're at the tipping point we are we're past the tipping point of a universal event or an earthly event you know yeah and so there's like this real sense that I don't know I've felt that before where I feel like I'm in the later times of humanity as we know it but like that's our perspective as people living in 2020 who can't who only know what's happened in the past and not what's going to happen in the future yeah yeah no yeah it's it's yeah especially true when like yeah when there is that clock like the climate clock like we have you know seven years like there was in Union Square yeah yeah, so we have, like, the seven years or, like, we need to, by 2050, completely change the way we're thinking about things. So it does feel like, and if not, we'll be, like, the last people, which, like, isn't true. Like, you know, there will be people after us, even if they have to live with the consequences of our actions. But, yeah, yeah. it's just, like, yeah, just thinking about how maybe we're not the last people even if it feels like sometimes we are yeah but then also she says so honestly like there's sort of a comfort in thinking that you are the last generation even if we're not because then there's there's less of a guilt of like what are we doing or not doing that is going to cause hurt to like the people that come after us yeah so sometimes it's easier to think okay well you know let's just cap it off here and then yeah and live it out and not feel bad about it yeah no for sure and just like the historical importance of being the last and like yeah we're we are what will be remembered I guess even if I guess in this case there might not be people to remember us but yeah I don't know just that idea and then the very last little paragraph which I love um and this is right after a ton of of numbers and everything it like again everything is so head spinning and then Mm -hmm. uh, she writes uh one small town soup kitchen saint mary's serves 115 men a night why feed 115 individuals 
Surely so few people elude most demographics and achieve statistical insignificance. After all, there are 265 million Americans, 15 million people who live in Mexico City, 16 million in Greater New York, 26 million in Greater Tokyo. Every day, 1.5 million people walk through Times Square in New York. Every day, almost as many people, 1.4 million, board a U.S. passenger plane, and so forth. We who breathe air now will join the already dead layers of us who breathed air once. We arrive from dirt and dwindle to dirt, and the might of the universe is arrayed against us. So, again, it goes to so many places with the, like, such a small, some like, something you can actually visualize to getting turned around with all the numbers and then just getting smacked in the face with our mortality mm-hmm. right at the end. Um, we arise from dirt and dwindle <laughs> to dirt. Like, yeah. that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I love that, like, in spite of all the statistics and the making us feel kind of small and whatever. Um, She questions the importance of, like, individual action or, like, action in your community or, like, caring about the people closest to you. But but she doesn't deny its importance, which I think is really cool and something that is very applicable in just, like, acting for whatever you know, you're trying to advocate for, whether that's, like, you know, I mean, in this case, like, you know, climate justice and everything, like, a lot of times, like, small things can make a difference, even if it's for a small number of people, because, like, for those small number of people, um, that thing might be the most important change or action or whatever. Right. Yeah, it kind of goes into, like, the conversation that we've had a lot on this podcast, which is, like, um, does individual action matter? Which the answer is yes, but it can't mm-hmm. It can't be just that. It can't yeah. lead, like, with the 115 individuals and not go anywhere past that. But yeah. making that effort and, like, setting up the system, I guess, to have those 115 people fed then allows them to live another day honestly yeah the most basic sense yeah which is yeah gonna be the most important thing to them but yeah I just like especially in like you know zooming back out into like our lives I guess from this piece like I feel like we talk about and just like I see so many talk about uh so many people talk about and be like conflicted by like small community action versus like oh well like corporations are doing all the bad stuff and like Mm -hmm. are the like statistically significant numbers and like how do you approach that and yeah I feel like this strikes a good line between that or just like awareness yeah there I posted something on our uh, Instagram today about last week's episode like some of the alternatives to quote-unquote vegan leather you know plastic leather Mm -hmm. but not to say that you should never buy plastic leather or real leather or any of those things it's just like these are the experimental fabrics that are that exist and like if we maybe support companies on the front end making these choices then the the burden is no longer on the consumer which I feel like is I mean the essential part there was a there's a statistic I cited from um common collective that was like 80 percent 
of the impact of a garment is decided at the design stage. And so, like, yeah. so much of that happens on the front end. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, let's say, you're the designer and you create something that has a low environmental impact and maybe uses waste from uh, farming or other industries that already exist, then, like, chain reaction, you're creating a product that even if people don't buy your product, if people are inspired by you, other designers are inspired by you, all of that, it can turn into... I mean, yeah. any other type of industry that becomes completely mainstream. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, it's important. And yeah, like, yeah, a small thing could lead to a really big, like, kind of overhaul of the way things are, which is very yeah. cool. I was surprised. So when you told me you wanted to do this one and like, you know, like I said, I hadn't read it before. Mm-hmm. I was looking up also to see, you know, what other discussions there were around it. And I couldn't really find anything. I could find some people yeah, that have there, written essays about yeah, it. Yeah, there are a lot of papers. Um, it's like one, two, three papers where, like, you can't read the whole thing because they yeah. don't want you to plagiarize it. And I was like, yeah. that's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah, which, like... Again, I'm I'm honestly because I was kind of like, oh no, like there's not other things that I can really reference for this. But then on the other hand, I think a lot of it speaks for itself, and I think yeah, like that's kind of good. And again, like she was like, you know, the way the best way to know an author or the best way to know, you know, the writing itself is to just read it. And obviously, I couldn't do all of that. Like I couldn't read the whole thing on this episode, but. I feel like even just the quotes themselves were like you could just sit with a quote from this piece for a really long time. Yeah. But yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, a little bit surprised by that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's really good. I I really like it. It has rewired my brain <laughs> a, mm-hmm. a good bit, I feel like. Um, but yeah, and I mean, I, I definitely need to read more of her other pieces. I know she had, um, she has one called, I think it's just like the eclipse, but it was about, um, it's about like a solar eclipse, which we watched the solar eclipse in Nashville together. Yeah. Uh, and I read that uh, when that happened. So I, I just think it's really funny when there's like, I feel like her pieces have come up in times of like things when I'm specifically experiencing something and then like she has like a very digestible uh you know piece of work that I can read before experiencing a thing or after experiencing a thing and yeah it just kind of fits and is very interesting yeah like I'm gonna read a little bit of poetry and then also Mm -hmm. just talk about different ones but I feel like that's a um something even more that you can you can look up you know protest poetry or anything insert like thing subject you're looking for poetry or writing and find so many things and I think that's just like what's so like powerful and cool about it because yeah the well just thinking about the solar eclipse we went to a dark side of the moon outdoor event yeah in whatever that was 2017 and Nashville was so many people came to Nashville for that event because it was at like the center of some sort of yeah I don't know it was like right on the line solar line of like yeah where you could see the full eclipse yeah for like the longest period of time and we had and it was it was cloudy but we had a fantastic view of it and so yeah they Mm -hmm. were playing like Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon the whole time and it was a whole 
mood. It was. And so it is, and I know um Casey Musgraves, I forget if her um Golden Hour came out around that time or I think that might have been part of the inspiration for it. I can't remember which way it went, but she talks about the solar eclipse in Nashville being like a pivotal moment for her, a memorable moment. Yeah. And I just think that's cool. Like when art is inspired by things that we've all experienced. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really cool. Yeah. Do you want to get into your poems? Yes. So I like I wanted to talk about climate poetry. And as soon as like I said, as soon as I looked up that term, I found so many things. I wish it's something that I'd done before because, um, yeah, there's like there's a lot of great lists of uh different poetry and stuff which we'll link in the extended show notes because definitely don't have time to go through all of those here but there's a lot of like really incredible lists of different either like they sent a prompt to a lot of well-known poets and they responded with their work or just collections of climate related work um but I also like I wanted to start with a very short poem that is not from a listicle um, it's from a Chan master and poet from China called Wu Men Hu Kai. He was alive in, uh, he was born in 1183 and died in 1260. So he's he's best known for this uh, book called The Gateless Gate. But I, I found this very short poem on the back of a bookmark that I got at a local bookstore in Brooklyn a couple of years ago when I came to visit um, our friend Julia. And so this is what it says. 10,000 flowers in spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, snow in winter. If your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. Which I just like love. I put that up in my room in, you know, when I went back to Nashville at that point. And then I ended up writing that on, um, on a piece of paper in my apartment in Morocco and like had that on the doorway on the way out. I just think it's like, if, especially if you're in like a bad mood, just reading that and like especially the last two lines, if your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. Um, mm-hmm. In other translations, it's if useless things do not hang in your mind, any season is a good season for you, which is just like, oh, yeah, stop worrying about dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, that's cool. And yeah. And like, while I think it's it's good to like acknowledge bad times or work because you need to like acknowledge it to work through it and like you know if there's like a legitimate problem uh like yeah not letting one bad thing ruin like your whole day or your whole season or yeah you know I feel like because I feel like there are months where it's just like that was a really bad month (laughs) Um, right yeah and it's easy to get caught up on like a couple bad things but then it's also kind of interesting to think, like, oh, what are those unnecess- unnecessary things yeah. that I'm thinking about all the time and yeah. are taking up so much space in my mind? And how is that, like, getting me to not notice? I kind of hate that, like, wake up and smell the roses thing, but it's kind of the same sentiment of, like, look around you and, you know, seek out joy in in nature and just in other things in your life. Yeah. And have a little bit more of a positive outlook, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look for the good things. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I originally we thought about this episode and talking about like environmental writers, Uh I was thinking of like Mary Oliver and Uh Wendell Berry and a lot of 
um, honestly, primarily white, like 19, maybe 60 to 1999, like writers, like the Heather Peak in that moment, mm-hmm. which there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah. it's also like a very, as we learned from Annie Dillard, a very short period of time yeah. to base your, yeah. which I mean, like she recollections kind of on would also fall into that category. Yeah, but definitely. But yeah, which I just think is kind of interesting to think about, too, that like the, the frame of reference, even if you say the last 300 years, it's such a short period of time to take your yeah. um, inspiration from. Yeah. Yeah. And just that there are some ideas that are so timeless or that we can can reconnect to so easily. Uh, yeah. 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 Woman in like 1200 was like, God, all these, all this anxiety in my head, this climate anxiety that I have. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, a little. I mean, yeah, not, not completely, not that. Um, but okay. So there were a lot of really cool, like I said, poets that I found and I don't want to, um, little like, wary about fair use. Um, I think that it would be okay, but I just don't want to take anyone's work without their knowledge. But I want to read little clips from a a couple of poems, um, including, I feel like something that I'm going to do after this is go back and watch like climate summits and the UN summits and watch the poems that are from the beginning of those, because a lot of um, incredible poets have shared their work. And that's how I found Mm -hmm. it. For this episode. So one of those is Nemo Bassi, who's a Nigerian architect and poet. And he's also now the director of an ecological think tank called the Health of Mother Earth Foundation. And he has a lot of really powerful poetry. And it's it's the kind of stuff that's like, it's just trying to wake you up and be like, this is what's happening. It's not trying to um gloss over anything or romanticize anything he has this poem called um when the earth bleeds and this is just a stanza from it um a thousand explosions in the belly of the earth bleeding rigs bursting pipes this oil flows from the earth's sick bed because the oil only flows when the earth bleeds Mm -hmm. and that's like the the repeating refrain is the oil only flows when the earth bleeds which is just like Oof. Yeah. I don't know. All of that just Yeah. No, that's me here. so good. And like, yeah, it's it's just so visual too. Yeah. And just like you can understand it. Right. Vanessa Nakate, who we talked about in an earlier episode and we follow her on Twitter, she always posts like posters and stuff that are like, we cannot eat oil, we cannot drink oil. And it's just like trying to wake you the fuck up that like this stuff is not benefiting the people who are going to be displaced by mm-hmm. drilling for oil. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh, I had another one. Um, another one from Nemo Bassi is called I Will Not Dance to Your Beat, um, which I'll just read the first few lines because it's a, it's a short poem, but it's it's really incredible. It says, um, I will not dance to your beat. If you call plantations forests, I will not sing with you. If you privatize my water, I will confront you with my fists. If climate change means death to me, but business to you, I will expose your evil greed. And it keeps going. I want to keep reading, but. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, definitely. We'll have all these linked and they're also good. Yes. 
Because, yeah, like that's the whole thing. It's like if climate change means death to me, but business to you, I'm going to like come and find you. Yeah. I also I think it's so interesting because I mean, this uh, that poem, like it, it goes on to say, like mention just like business practices and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I think it's so interesting that like I don't think of like bi- like actions of businesses or business practices or like corporate jargon I guess as being something that people could write an incredible poem or like include an incredible poem but like it's so real and has such real effects on people that right it and there's something cool about like when you can recognize jargon as marketing or corporate Mm -hmm. you know just by like evoking those words yeah yeah but yeah I just think it feels it it feels unnatural a little bit that it's in a poem but like it makes so much Mm -hmm. sense and it it makes it it, I don't know it makes it feel almost like realer to me if that that doesn't like make sense but it no it does because it's (laughs) right because like it 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 makes you aware that this poem was written, you know, in the last 10 years because mm-hmm. you're using jargon that you see, maybe not 10 years, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, is yeah. is talking about the the current problem, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then another that's at the United Nations Climate Summit in 2014, Kathy Jetnell Kishner, who's a Marshall Islander poet. Um, and like incredible person and also has like hey you this baby um, she wrote a poem for her daughter it's called Dear Matafele Pena um, and that one's a little bit longer she she got a standing ovation at the climate summit um, so it's really like worthwhile to watch that video if you've never seen it before but I'll read um, a brief part of that poem that again she wrote to her daughter Um, So she says, even though there are those hidden behind platinum titles who like to pretend that we don't exist, that the Marshall Islands, Tuvalu, Kiribati, Maldives, and Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines, and floods of Pakistan, Algeria, Colombia, and all the hurricanes, earthquakes, and tidal waves didn't exist, still there are those who see us, hands reaching out, fists rising up banners unfurling, megaphones booming, and we are canoes blocking coal ships. We are the radiance of solar villages. We are the rich, clean soil of the farmer's past. We are petitions blooming from teenagers' fingertips. We are families biking, recycling, reusing, engineers dreaming, designing, building, artists painting, dancing, writing, and we are spreading the word. Oh, again, I want to read yeah. the whole thing, but and that kind of goes back to what you were saying, too, about how artists coming into the climate conversation. It's like mm-hmm. each person can do their part. Families, engineers, artists. Yeah. And corporations. I, yeah. I love how like. I roll. Yeah. And I love how she's then celebrating all of those things in her art. Like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. And then also the line, um, we are canoes blocking coal ships. That made me think of the oil tanker that's like currently teetering 
I forget off the coast of somewhere. Oh, yeah, I saw something um, about that. <laughs> I was just like, Ooh. yeah, that's like a, yeah, it's it's one of those things that I I saw and I was like, wow, I really want want to talk about this and also this is feels like something that's important to know. But then I was already feeling sort of heavy in my life, whatever. I like couldn't handle looking at it. But still, that idea of like canoes blocking coal ships, I just think is really powerful in like yeah a lot of the comments I've seen around that current problem of the oil tanker is like why why are people sharing this on Instagram for example on social media when it's the corporations that need to take the blame for this because it's their freaking oil yeah but then at the same time like don't isn't it important that we know about this and if anything we like shame those yeah I, I saw something, and this is a little bit of a tangent, but, like, I saw someone say something on their stories about, like, the fact that we feel the, like, responsibility to, like, be the news and share, like, yeah. essentially, like, be a news source for the people who follow us, even if we're just, like, small, regular people, which I mm-hmm. think is kind of, it's, because I forget, and I'm like, oh, of course I have to share, share this thing and, like, make sure that stuff like, people know about this because it's important and I have to use my voice, however small it is, to, like, let people know. But it's it's so weird that, like, that's kind of where we are, but also it is so important at the same time. And it's it's so cool that we have a fall. Like, we all, even if you're not famous at all, have enough mm-hmm. of a following that you can actually help raise awareness for issues that maybe the media isn't covering or, you know, corporations and everything aren't you know, sharing as much as they should. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to the Annie Dillard, like compassion fatigue, reality Mm -hmm. fatigue thing too of like, first of all, can I handle this? And then if I'm going to blare this out to other people, is it going to inform them and make them more aware of what's happening in the world? Or is it just going to like stress them out? Yeah. And the hard thing is that each person that sees it, depending on their circumstances, the time of day, whatever that they see it, whether they'd seen it before, like all of that informs their context of how they like, you know, yeah, react to that information, mm-hmm. which you can never know either sharing on social media or even just talking to someone about it in real life, talking to your friends, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that um, that poem is really powerful and highly recommend watching the video because then her daughter comes out at the end with her, her um partner and he's like it's just, she's her daughter's just a little baby at this time but it's just so cute and then they get a standing ovation and all that but she's also saying like we are being ignored and you need to pay attention to us and all of that in the same video is just like really cool yeah I love how that poem is uh formatted too like there's so much mm-hmm. space in it which, like, again, like, with climate anxiety and, and news and, like, hearing about all this stuff, like, everything that's in the poem is so overwhelming. But, like, it's spaced out so much and there's so much on individual lines that it makes you think about, like, each thing. And, it, like, you can sit with it for a second, which I think is is nice. Yeah, and it's it's worthwhile to, like, read it again after listening to it or you know, whatever order you do it in. Yeah. And then the last one that I have for you is a poem called The Poem Grace Interrupted by 
Miko Harvey, um, which I think you read, right? Yes. And it's this gorgeous poem. I also lucked the hell out in that I emailed him yesterday and asked if I could read it. And he said very kindly, yes. So um, this one we can read in full, but you can also um, go to poets.org and you can listen to him read it, which I also think is just like a, I always like hearing from the actual author, Mm -hmm. um, just seeing what they choose to intonate and like focus on and stuff too. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so this one's called The Poem Grace Interrupted. There once was a planet who was both sick and beautiful. Chemicals rode through her that she did not put there. Animals drowned in her eyeballs that she did not put there. Animals she could not warn against falling in because she was one of them, not separable from them. Define sick, the atmosphere asked. So she tried. She made a whale on fire, somehow still swimming and alive. See, she said, like that, kind of. But the atmosphere did not understand this, so the planet progressed in her argument. She talked about the skin that snakes shed, about satellites that circled her like suitors forever, yet never said a word. She talked about the shyness of large things, how a blueberry dominates the tongue that it dies on. She talked and talked, and the atmosphere started nodding. You could call this a revolution or just therapy. Meanwhile, the whale spent the rest of his life burning, etc., etc. He sang a few songs. When he finally died, his body, continuing to burn steadily, drifted down to the ocean floor. And although the planet had long since forgotten him, he was merely one of her many examples. He became a kind of god in the eyes of the fish that saw him as he fell. Or not a god exactly, but at least something inexplicable. Something strange and worth briefly turning your face toward. This is where it's going. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. And like, I I like that Wreck of Time is not maybe explicitly a climate essay, but Mm -hmm. all of those same elements are in, I feel like, every single one of these. Like, the whale is not... You know, he's he is merely one of her many examples. It's one of so many examples of something you can talk about, but it's still like important. Yeah, I I I in this poem, I like specifically love the uh, the line "animals drown in her eyeballs" that she did not put there. Mm. Like, I feel like that's such like so like horror-y. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it sounds like. If that wasn't, if that was it by itself, like, it seems just, like, like, it could be in more of, like, a, like, a horror poem. And just, like, I feel like that has so much anxiety in it, too. Like, I mean, just, like, if you think about, like, I don't know, if you have, like, an eyelash in your eye or, like, how awful that is. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just, like, there's so many things. Yeah. And the line before it, too, that's chemicals rode through her that she did not put there. It's like that goes back to Nima Bassi, like when the earth bleeds. The oil only flows when the earth bleeds. Yeah. That's like right there. Mm -hmm. Um, And also that sort of the the earth, like almost personifying the earth as this thing that can't control and didn't choose all of these things that are happening around her. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, there's just such like a trapped feeling that goes along with so many of the things, like so many of the poems mm-hmm. that you read. That's so scary. Yeah. Yeah, there's this little um, about the poem next to this on poets.org that I think is really interesting. So I'll just read it. Um, He said, I wrote this poem while walking down the street one night in midtown Manhattan. Um, Being at the base of all those tall buildings somehow turned my imagination planetary. I think the poem shows just a few links in a chain of accidents. Somebody hurts somebody else while trying to heal herself. Somebody becomes an idol to others who don't understand his particular hurt. And the atmosphere nods along acceptingly. The type of little chain that happened that probably happens every day among children on playgrounds at recess. Because like, that the imagery yeah. too of like the the whale coming down and the fish seeing him as some sort of idol or something to yeah. turn their head towards. Like, um, but that 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 happened to the whale because they were meant to serve as, as an example of something like entirely different. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean for this to turn into like a English 101 poetry class, but it it's like I think it's really interesting to talk about all of these different works and how they like evoke different ideas in your head. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, those that are listening can can maybe go back and read some of these and then like, well, honestly, bring us your own interpretations and and things that stuck out to you because even when you're reading Wreck of Time Elise, like I well, you also had to cut down. Yeah, I you know, only read what you're gonna say. Yeah, but it was cool. Like some some things that you read, I hadn't highlighted at all. Not because mm-hmm. they weren't important, but just like whatever. When I was reading it, it didn't stick out yeah. to me. And then the ones, some things that I s- highlighted in the most important color, which for me is green. Let's yeah. look into that. But um, <laughs> you didn't like we skipped over those. So yeah, it's just it's cool to see. Yeah, I I also I pulled more than I read. <laughs> Um, yeah, I could have highlight. Yeah, I could have highlighted the whole thing, but I tried to pick literally out, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I tried to pick out things that were one resonated with me, and I think I thought were the most important things, or like cap like captured the the piece as a whole in a smaller bit, um, mm-hmm. and also things that like related to climate specifically, or like themes that we talk about. Um, that's kind of how I chose what I was going to read and what I wasn't going to read, but. But yeah, it's 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 cool. And it yeah, with the poetry, it's cool to see like the range of like some things being hopeful to some things being like grotesque and mm-hmm. and yeah, it's or a little angry. It yeah, know. yeah, angry for sure too. And yeah, just like all the places. And yeah, I mean speaking of like just climate anxiety and processing it, like I feel like whatever whatever you're feeling about it on whatever day um you could find a poem that like encapsulates that feeling which is really cool yeah well it's yeah oh my gosh someone's on my street (laughs) revving their engine but that the like yeah because climate anxiety is not just anxiety it's it's grief it's anger it's rage it's uh hopelessness it's disillusionment like it's all of those things wrapped up together so this is like a, a a worthwhile way to you know start to process all of that Mm-hmm. Um, I have a thing for the dump. Can I okay. say it? Go for it. I have one too. Okay. Well, because it's it's something that I haven't read yet, but I know I'm going to, and I already okay. texted you about it. Um, it's two. Tw- I actually don't know how to say it. Two hundred twenty. Oh, yeah. it's like. Ton. Uh, is it like twenty? Twenty thousand twenty. Like 
I think it's 200 because we call this 2020. Anyways, we're mm-hmm. talking about um, John Bois' amazing sequel to, well, sequel to his amazing um, 177-76. Yeah. <laughs> I also don't know how to say that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, which is an incredible journey to go on. If you're looking for a story that like will just take you on a ride and you've mm-hmm. never heard of, um, I actually don't, I really don't know how to say it. 17,776. Yeah, it's like 17,776, I think is how I generally say it out loud. (laughs) Yeah. He wrote a a sequel to it. It's it's this kind of interactive experience. So it's a lot of writing, but there's also a lot of illustration. Um, You know, all these different people that work on this thing. Basically, the the first one is set about 15,000 years into the future. Um, after people have like, I don't know, completely given up their ideas of time and are now into really into football, but it's not really football. It's this like yeah. whole other element and stuff. It It's a very bizarre story that's hard to um, explain, but I'm so excited yeah. that there's a sequel because yes. um, I'm just like going to dig into it hopefully before the next episode and we can talk about it because it goes right back into like talking about time and like. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's Imagining things so good. Yeah. And it it's it's just like honestly maybe the most creative piece of like short fiction that I've like ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, I've just not experienced anything anything like it. And yeah, I mean deals with a lot of similar themes to what we talked about today. There's mm-hmm. there's this line that just like like lasered itself in my brain from that. It's like mm-hmm. um it's talking about New York and it's it was something like I'm probably going to say it wrong but it's like pe- the people like bolted trash cans to the ground or like mm. that like the people who were afraid to or like the trash cans were bolted to the sidewalk by people who were afraid to die and like it just is like that specifically was just like the things that we think about so much and are like such a big deal are just so like random and like really that that specific thing is what you're gonna spend a whole bunch of time doing or whatever yeah it's, yeah it'll it'll get you I got I got the exact quote just because I love yeah. exact quotes. Yeah, because well, because you literally brought out a memory that I haven't thought about in whatever three years since yeah. this came out. Or no, more than that, because we were in college. I think you're the one that showed this to me. I think it was I can't Sesso. remember how it went. Sasso. Yeah, it, showed it was both of us. I think it was actually on Twitter, which I'm not maybe. particularly active on Twitter, but like someone, one of our friends posted this like really weird oh no he yeah yeah he posted the link this I remember now mm-hmm. Sesso our friend Steven Sesso posted the link he was just like just do it like nothing nothing else because you can't really explain it at all and so a couple of us like actually clicked the link and started reading and it's so weird but you don't really know where it's going especially if you come to it with zero context like we did and it just like takes you on a freaking ride Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, this is the the quote because I think they're talking about climate change actually, and so in, New York going underwater mm-hmm. in the you know, immediate future after us. Um, he says going under that water is like going back through time. Everything is like it was. 
All the buildings were built. All the cars were neatly parked. All the garbage cans were bolted to the sidewalk by people who were afraid to die. It was a meticulous craftsmanship of terrified people. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And just, yeah. I don't know. That, like, that trash can line was just, like, it, yeah. Just, like, the things that we're preoccupied with. And just, like, the anxiety built into our everyday existence is mm-hmm. wild. <sighs> yeah. The world was all fucked up. I remember feeling so alone, like I was the only one fighting it. But we're all in this together. Every stranger you meet, they were fighting the very same fight you are. You were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like, I literally could, I might go back and read the first one again. Yeah, I can't really I remember how long it took. Um, But yeah, so he's been releasing the new episodes um, because if you didn't get the connection, which I was reading the numbers really bizarrely, so you might not have. Um, There's a a fire truck right outside my house <laughs> but um it's it's been to be like 1776 yeah. you know whatever 15,000 years in the future and then 2020 220 yeah 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 no it's it's truly so good and yeah about football yeah I haven't even read the sequel and I'm already recommending it but <laughs> yeah I'm sure it, it's it was great. coming I, out yeah. in segments I think it probably just ended or it's ending this week it was like new pieces every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm really, really excited for that. Cause yeah, it's just makes me think in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, I was mad. I couldn't read it. Cause I was like, I have too much schoolwork to do. If I start this, I'm not going to be able to finish anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, as someone who like does not like football for many reasons, mm. like I feel like it, is a fun exercise in like reimagining like I don't know an activity or like something that someone thinks is important or like what could be important to you if mm-hmm. you had all the time in the world so it's it's really good exactly yeah definitely read it um yeah. and then I uh I've been listening I think I sent you an episode of it but I've been listening to the podcast Clothes Horse which uh, and that like yeah. oh yeah you did, um so it's all about the fashion industry, um mm. and the host Amanda she, uh I think got furloughed because of uh, the pandemic so she started the podcast in July, um kind of I'm assuming because she just was sitting around trying to figure stuff out I mean same yeah <laughs> weren't we all we also started a podcast, um but. But yeah, it's just a deep dive into fashion and it's not uh, specifically um, like climate or like, you know, you know, related to sustainability, but it is just by like necessity. Um, So it's so cool. I've learned so much stuff from it so far. I haven't listened to all the episodes, but I listened to a good number of them. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just stuff that I haven't thought about um, and like specific processes about how clothes are made, um, like distribution wise, like uh, there's an episode on like outlets and it goes into selling clothes online and returns and just, yeah, the sustainability of fabrics and, you know, paying people and how much you should charge if you make clothes or make you know, whatever. It's very, yeah. very interesting. Um, and I've been really enjoying it. So yeah, if anyone listened to our last episode about 
like the fashion fashion industry and vegan leather and how social media influences consumption like this podcast <laughs> is so good and like goes into so much detail because really she because cool. she used to work at like nasty gal and so she, you know and lots of different other places so and she brings in all of her like industry friends so you kind of get like a peek behind the curtain of you know all of that stuff yeah and i i feel like i i would i could imagine if you already worked in fashion and then you have this sort of awakening to -hmm. the climate crisis that a lot of people have had in different industries like that even if that's not what she's talking about it's what she's talking about because everything has to do with that so Yeah. yeah that's cool I, I will have to listen you sent me the um the episode about vegan leather I think yes um yeah and I was like I've heard enough of this <laughs> yeah which like I I like I think I saw someone post about it right after we finished recording that episode like literally right yeah. after and so I like I was like oh that sounds interesting and I clicked on top like you know Spotify to look at all the episodes and saw a couple down there was one on vegan leather. So I listened to it immediately. <laughs> and it was cool to see, like, the, like, it. both episodes, like, cover a lot of the same points, but kind of with some different details. So, yeah, it's yeah, just that was, cool. Yeah, you sent me a really nice text. Yeah, like, like, you did a good job. This is a cool thing. <laughs> and they touch on a lot of the same things. And she's actually in fashion. So good job. Yeah. Like, yes, that's honestly all I need to hear. <laughs> yeah. So... So, yeah, and it's a lot of really specific things like vegan leather and then, like, yeah, more, like, industry-wide things. So I've been really enjoying listening to it. Um, Been learning a lot. So, yeah. Also, another thing I wrote, the last thing I wrote for the dump was peak fall because it's just so beautiful Mm. right now. And, ooh, kind of related. Mm, I can't, I'm not going to show you because it's, (laughs) it's not a, like, it's not worth putting on our social media and stuff. But my... I was going through the closet. I went home for a week to my parents' house in Massachusetts. And I we were, like, going through one of the closets because I left a lot of my clothes in Morocco. Slash, I haven't lived in, like, a in the Northeast for a winter mm-hmm. in uh, seven years, maybe more. Um, so I don't have that many warm clothes. Mm-hmm. Anyways, my mom found this jacket at the back of her closet that is like that she bought you know when she was working maybe like 20 years ago this gorgeous trench coat that has like a wool insert and Mm. all these it's just like so pretty and it's exactly what I've been looking for I think I told you I I bought a trench coat on uh, Depop that was way it was gorgeous but way too big for me Mm -hmm. I resold it at Plus Brooklyn it's an awesome place in Brooklyn but anyways, it still meant that I didn't have a trench coat. Yeah. Kind of sucked. And so now I found this perfect one that like my mom hasn't worn in over a decade. It's literally sat in that closet my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know about it. And now I get to give it a new life. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And it's so also exciting. a size smaller than I would usually wear. And it's a petite. And I'm 5'10". Hmm. And it fits perfectly. So Yeah. No, it's funny. Just, sizing. That's a win. Sizing is weird. Yeah. So I, think, to, I feel like means nothing sometimes, but I, I, really. I wouldn't buy something online that was petite. You know, obviously if I had a choice, I either buy regular or tall. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this, it's just nice when things like that, like work out. Yeah. Just click, click together. I guess. Yeah. Shop your mom's closet for the old, <laughs> yeah. old stuff that she's <laughs> forgotten about. And so getting new things. 
Honestly, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably better quality than you would have found if you went to a store. It's Fleet Street, which I had never mm. heard of before, but I think is a very famous brand thing, whatever, for like trend. When I started looking into trench coats, I would see like Fleet found Street a lot trench coat. Yeah. As very like cool. Thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So, you want to do the yeah, let's let's do okay. our our uh, socials. So we are world is burning without a G on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow us, we'll be tweeting things about our episodes and sharing anything else interesting that we find. Um, you can email us at worldisburningpod at gmail.com if you find any amazing climate poems that you want to share, or maybe you wrote one. Um, or yes, yes, share your work with us. Um, or if you have any in- interesting stories, or there are any topics that you want us to cover in the future, um, or just if you want to say hi, that's cool too. Um, and then you can find our extended show notes on worldisburning.com. We'll link everything we talked about today, link all the pieces we mentioned, um, and link and more and and more. I- yes. There are like there are there's a lot that I well, both of us didn't read and like if you want like a little reading afternoon and you don't have any reading material we got you covered mm-hmm. can't commit to a book you just want to read you know some individual <laughs> things uh, that will all be up there and yeah any of the you know seventeen seven seventy six and all that jazz will be up there and yeah that's all for for this week yeah unless is there more thank you okay. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah. Um, If you like what we're doing, you can give us a review on Apple yes. Podcasts. That's a big one. Um, Follow us on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. If you're still listening, thank you. Yes. Thank um, you so much. Also, send us you trying to make the match sound because I just have a lot of fun with that. So, please. <laughs> yes. Do that. And then, yeah, we'll see you next Wednesday. Awesome. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a whip. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> We become we become the whip podcast. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Yep. <laughs>